philosophies of the day will influence how we view ourselves and how we're going to then change. And if we view ourselves as broken, we stay broken. But if we view ourselves as, hey, that's not who I am. That's what's happened to me. Let me refine, let me rebuild. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome, everyone, to the Mind Valley podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about a really interesting topic. So, I'm sure many of you have heard of Jordan Peterson. And Jordan Peterson put up a post recently that went like this. The modern idea is you're supposed to accept yourself. I think that's an insane idea. Really? I can't think of a more nihilistic idea than that. You're okay the way you are? No, you're not. And the reason you're not is that you could be way more than you are. What do you want to be? Do you want to be okay as you are? Or do you want to strive towards what's better? So it's interesting. And I see where Jordan Peterson is coming from. But at the same time, If we are not okay with where we are and who we are, isn't that a recipe for a mental mess? Isn't that a recipe for worry, for anxiety? How do we grow and become the best version of ourselves, but also to not be in a state of stress, anxiety, or as Dr. Caroline Leaf puts it, mental mess. So with me today to address this topic and to go beyond it, is the remarkable Dr. Caroline Leaf. If you follow her on Instagram, you know that this lady is a powerhouse. She has 600,000 followers. Her book is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. She also has a powerful new app that is out. It's called the NeuroCycle app. You can learn about it at neurocycle.app. And it's basically a way to elevate your moods. Now, in today's conversation with Dr. Caroline, we're going to be talking about how to accept your mess. Is it okay for us to be in a state of mental mess? And we're also going to address this counter-argument by Jordan Peterson. A couple of things about Caroline and why we are so excited to have her as a guest. She is a PhD, a world-renowned neuroscientist. She is the fourth neuroscientist to appear on the Mind Valley podcast in the last eight weeks. As you can tell, we freaking love neuroscientists. She has a PhD in communication pathology and a BSc in logopedics, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. Her best-selling book is called Switch on Your Brain, Think, Learn, Succeed, Think and Eat Yourself Smart. And since the 1980s, she's been researching the mind-brain connection. So Caroline's new book is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. It came up on March 2nd. It is a beautiful read. And we're also going to be discussing ideas from this book. She talks about how toxic thoughts, depression, anxiety, or what she calls the mental mess is frequently aggravated by a chaotic world and our inability to manage our runaway thoughts but we shouldn't settle for this mental mess as our new normal. There's hope and help available, science back that can help you go beyond your mental mess. And in her book, she talks about a proven five-step approach to do so that can get you there in 21 days. So Dr. Caroline Leap, welcome to the Mind Valley Podcast. Thank you. It's such an honor. I'm a great fan of yours and it's such an honor to be on your podcast. And thank you for that great intro. Thank you. By the way, you've got such an interesting accent. Where is that from? 
I was born in Zimbabwe in Africa and then grew up in South Africa. And then we, I have British parents and I've been in the States for 13 years, actually. And we travel all around the world. So I, th- I don't know what my accent is anymore. <laughs> it's like a whole mixture. <laughs> it's so cool. We, um, a couple of months ago, we had May Musk on our podcast, you know, Elon Musk's mother and your yeah. accent reminds me of her. And now I get it. It's that South African yeah, accent. It's that South African twang. <laughs> I love it. It's an incredible accent. Uh, one of our top authors, Lorenzo Delano, who founded our 10X program on Mind Valley, which is our fitness program, is also from South Africa. And he's got that similar accent. It is oh, okay. adorable to say that. Good stuff coming out of South Africa, there. <laughs> so other than brilliant brains coming out of South Africa, let's actually kick off by having you tell us a little bit about why you do what you do. Why is cleaning up one's mental mess so important to you? Well, that's a great question. It began 38 years ago. I've been in the field now for 38 years, which is long. And it began in one of my neuroscience lectures when we were told by one of the professors, they held up a brain, and I'm holding up a brain here, not a real one, a model, that the brain couldn't change. Now, that was the going philosophy back in the 80s, that your brain couldn't change. But there was the acceptance that the mind and the brain were separate in the 80s, which is not now. So things have changed a lot in the last 40 years. Now, I remember saying to the professor, but we are constantly changing, we're having different experiences. And if our mind is showing up in our brain, if our mind is changing and the mind is how we experience life, then the brain must be changing. So they said, okay, well, go do some research. So I did, I started doing research with people with traumatic brain injuries. And the reason I chose that area was because there was so little research on people with traumatic brain injuries and chronic traumatic encephalopathy, damage from sports and from concussions and things like that. And the reason there wasn't was because they didn't believe the brain could change. So I thought, well, what's the point that's such a terribly hopeless you know kind of philosophy so I went ahead worked with people with very traumatic brain injuries got them back functioning back at university back it was pretty miraculous and it caught the attention of a lot of people in the field I did some of the first work in neuroplasticity and I mean I was just very honored I had amazing patients but that that trajectory then began a whole um, cycle of research. I was in South Africa at the time in the um, going through the terrible apartheid era, the transition with when Mandela came to power, the post-apartheid era. So I just chose to spend three of three to four days a week working in the areas that had been so impoverished and so challenged by that terrible environment. So I'd work in schools and community centers and one of the main reasons was to go and help people to just basically manage their emotions and learn and get educated and, and that kind of thing. But it was also to, to understand what is going on. What is the mind? What is the brain? How can we change how we function? And I saw some of the most challenging situations. And I saw that when you show someone, and this really goes to kind of what Jordan was, like almost the controversial portion of what Jordan was saying, is that when you have people that are in the most constrained situations, I also worked in places like Water and Wonder and, you know, Water in Africa. And, and when people, when you go and show a person that, hey, this is who you are at your core. You're this phenomenal person, but life has happened. And that life messes you up, whether it's a traumatic brain injury, whether it's an apartheid system, whether it's war trauma, sexual trauma, all the day-to-day traumas that we go through. Those adverse circumstances, we process through our mind into our brain. And that tends to create a mess in our brain and our body. And if we manage that, we can actually learn to reconceptualize it. But if we are consumed by it, we crash. And I saw 
in these incredible situations where people really had honestly the most extenuating circumstances. I saw the power of the human mind. I saw the power of humanity to come through despite circumstances and the excitement of showing people how they could learn it. I mean, I could tell you a thousand stories, but that's what motivated me to continue. I practiced clinically for 25 years as a clinical neuroscientist, and I've been doing research for 38 years, still doing research. We're busy with another massive study now over this COVID era of nearly 35,000 people looking at the mental health over, over this pandemic era. So that's kind of a Cliff Notes version. <laughs> I see. And I, and I guess seeing the impact of the atrocities of someplace like Rwanda on yeah. someone's mental health could really inspire you to want to do something about it. What is the, the biggest change you've seen in a patient or a client? The biggest change, there's so many because there's thousands. As you say that I have thousands of faces coming to mind. But what I really saw was um, people that were suicidal saying, okay, I've got hope now. I believe in myself again. People that were so brain damaged that they had been written off by the neurologists as vegetables go back get a degree and got them to become some of the top, like one of them was a, became one of the top criminologists in South Africa. And that person had been written off by doctors. And, you know, and not that I run, I mean, I'm all for the medical community, but I'm just saying it's the philosophies of the day will influence how we view ourselves and how we're going to then change. And if we view ourselves as broken, we stay broken. But if we view ourselves as, hey, that's not who I am. That's what's happened to me. Let me refine, let me rebuild. So some of the greatest things was people overcoming suicide, people getting out of situations. In one situation in South Africa, I was working with a group, I think it was close to a couple of thousand people that they packed into the community centers. And I was teaching a group of students and teachers how to learn, how to use their mind and their brain, how to learn to educate, to get them educated again. And one guy just walked in. And as he walked in, the Red Seas parted, literally. Um, dreadlocks, everyone was petrified that they actually atmosphere which is transformed and this guy stood at the back of the room and he stared at me and I thought boy this guy hates me this guy is wondering what am I doing in this environment and this was back in South Africa in an area called Soweto which was one of the really badly affected areas wow. in the apartheid era and he stared at me throughout this lecture and I thought well at the end of this gosh I'm, I have to get an escort out of here because I used to drive around those areas which were very dangerous with just being pregnant on my own because people loved what I was doing so I was safe I was I was very safe there but this guy really concerned me and I carried on talking and at the end of it as I finished one of the teachers said who wants to thank Dr. Leaf and this guy ran to the front of the room he had tears in his eyes he picked up a pen and he said now Dr. Leaf I know what to do with my pen it turns out that that guy was one of the worst pimps in the area terrified everyone drug lord you name it that guy did it. And, but he was, he was young. He was like 25 or 26 and he was desperate to learn. And he'd heard about, apparently he'd been following me doing these lectures around the country. And long story short, he decided to come that day and he transformed. And from that day on, he became a leader in his community. And I mean, it sounds like such a miracle, but it was, it was such a transformation. It was a realization that he realized that, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is my life. This is my environment. But there is hope. We can come together with the power of our, our minds and change things. So, I mean, that was so, a really powerful story. So, your podcast is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Your book is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. Our topic today is accepting your mental mess. What is mental mess to you? A mental mess is that we as humans cannot predict what's going to happen in the next moment. Life is so unpredictable. So we cannot control events. We cannot control circumstances. We cannot control people. The only thing we can control is how we respond to those situations. And even initially, our responses are going to be experimental. So I love to see all of us as 
understanding that we actually, our brain and our body and our mind, our psychoneurobiology are aligned and designed to make a mess in this experimental way and then manage that mess. So we're not meant to stay in the mess, but we're meant to make the mess in order to repair and grow. Because I don't know what's coming, I don't know exactly how I'm going to respond. And also you can be in the most challenging situations. And in those situations, you don't always control yourself, but your emotions can take flight. And in those situations, we tend to make wrong decisions very often. Like for example, if you tell someone, if this situation happened, what would you do? And they'd say, oh, of course I would never do this or that. Then they're in the situation, they do the exact opposite. We've all done that. That is because in the moment, we, we're thrown into these unpredictable situations and we make a mess because we're trying to find out what this means and that is okay. And that mess can create, uh, will produce signals like um, depression, anxiety, frustration, irritation, anger, body reactions, perspective changes, behavioral changes that can shock you. But what I see from my neuroscientific research and my work clinically all these years is that we can make that mess and as soon as we make that mess, if we embrace it, if we stand back and say, oh gosh, I did this, I did that, it's okay, that's not who I am. I'm showing up in this messy way because of something's triggered me. There's a reason for this. You can go into that mode where you can literally observe your own mess. I call that the multiple perspective advantage, where we can stand back, observe the mess and say, okay, well, this is not who I am, but this is where my reality is at the moment. Let me try and work out why, what is the root cause? and then you reconceptualize. So that's what I've worked on in all my research is how do I help a person do this, including myself, and how can we then move forward? So instead of saying depression and anxiety and emotions like that are illnesses, which is how they're spoken about in the current narrative, which basically changed into this in the last 40 years. Instead of saying that, there's a huge body of research of which mine is part of that, saying, no, don't see those as mental illnesses, see those as warning signals, embrace them. When you embrace the message, you're actually gonna find the messenger. We've heard that nice little cliche often, but it is absolutely scientific. I love that. Now in your book, you mentioned five simple scientifically proven steps. The book goes very deep, but could you give us a rough idea of what are these five steps Absolutely. So the easiest way to understand these steps is that they're not a technique, they're a system. And it's a system for how you can get your mind to drive your brain. So the mind and the brain are not the same thing. So I'm going to hold up a brain here. I'm going to hold up a model of a little brain and a body. And then just to, in order to explain these five steps, we quickly need to just understand that mind is not brain and body. So your brain and your body, when you die, they disintegrate. But at the moment, if I had to put all kinds of equipment like QEEGs on your and my brain and so on at the moment, we would see a massive response happening. So the difference between you and I and a dead person at this moment is our mind. So our mind is this force that actually energizes the brain and the body to function. It's the psycho that makes the neuro and the biology work. When the mind goes, people, when people die, you weigh a little bit less. There's a difference. So the mind is this energetic force and it's how we experience life. So if mind is driving brain and body, mind shows up in the brain. The brain and the body therefore respond. So mind, if mind shows up in the brain and the brain and body respond, I wanted to know how much control do we have over mind? Does mind, is there, are there two different levels of mind? And in a simple statement, based on 38 years of research, yes. Mind, there's like two parts to mind. One is this wise part that is this core of who we are, which we see reflected in our brain and biology of our body, which are wired for survival, wired for love, wired to keep you going. Wired, that's why we have an immune system that fights things that threaten survival. 
And so we have this wisdom, this inner core of wisdom that draws us towards things that are not working, that are imbalanced, not because we are evil or all these kinds of things that people say, because we recognize there's an imbalance that threatens our survival that we need to fix. So we've got that part of our mind. That part of our mind is the part of our mind when someone comes to you and says, hey, I've got this problem, Bashan, and you give them this great advice. And you think, wow, why didn't I take my own advice? That wisdom that we just have inside of us, that's a wise mind. And that goes, aligns beautifully with all the psychoneurobiology. Then we have our messy mind. And our messy mind is this experimental mind. It's this one that doesn't always behave like it should. It's the one that's experimenting. It's always throwing out these hypotheses. It's, it's getting irritated and then catching the irritation. It's getting upset and, and, and make, saying the wrong thing and then fixing it. Those two need to work together. And at the core of who we are, those two drive the physiology. So we've got accommodation in our brain and our body for making a mess. It's not going to wipe you out. But if you stay in the mess, accumulatively over time, the vulnerability of your brain and your body becomes impaired right down to the level of your DNA, which I've done research on as well. And so basically, in a nutshell, that foundation then, in summary, is that our mind is separate from our brain and our body, our mind drives our brain and our body, shows up in our brain and our body, and our mind is how we then process life into our brain and our body and build it into our brain and our body in the form of these changes. Now, the changes, and we can talk about them more in a moment, but basically we build our, this experience, for example, this podcast, it's our mind that's taking this information, pushing it into the brain and building it into a tree-like structure in the brain made of proteins. Everything I'm saying is in the root section, and the unique way that you are processing what I'm saying is in the branches. So this is the same for everyone. This is completely unique for everyone. Okay, so now this is what we're doing. Now that's a healthy thought. What happens if we have a toxic experience? We have a toxic response. So we build a toxic thought. So the neurocycle, which is the five-step system I've developed, is understanding this whole concept of mind changes the brain mind drives the brain and the body and that when we experience life we experience it through the mind into the brain built into these trees and also as soon as it builds into the brain as these trees the brain sends an instruction to the rest of the body to build this exact thought into our body this is why we ptsd you experience it in your body why things like mdr work because you're putting it out of your body but it's also in a third place, the gravitational fields and electromagnetic fields of your mind. So every experience is like that. Now we've got our wise mind that is all about survival. It's all about making your mind, brain and body work for you and not against you. So helping you survive the chaos of life in a way that you can navigate as peacefully as possible. Then you have your messy mind that's doing the navigating, kind of like a pilot and a co-pilot. Then this the system I've developed is taking all of that into consideration and no, no matter what adverse circumstance you've had, it's knowing how to navigate that. How do I get my wise mind to talk to the messy mind and help to identify these patterns in our life that come from something which are these issues and how can I deconstruct and reconstruct them into something that works for me? Now, you're not going to change what's happened to you, but you can change what's in you. And by that, I mean, you can change this into this. So that is what the neurocycle is. The neurocycle is an overarching system that enables you to get the wise mind talking to the messy mind, giving yourself permission to be messy, grabbing that mess, finding out why the mess is there in the first place, because that's not who you are, because you're wired for the survival. That's happened because of something. And it's a system to help you have this kindness and gentleness with yourself find the pattern, the way you're showing up, and go back right down to the root, deconstruct and reconstruct. 
So it's kind of like Amazon. And even if people don't like Amazon, Amazon works. It's a brilliant system that delivers anything, anywhere, anytime. So the NeuroCycle is a system that delivers this ability into your hands to drive your mind where you want it to go and to change, therefore, the structure of your brain and your body. I love the way you explain that. And I love the way you just happen to have these props on your table. Beautiful. <laughs> Very, extremely well done. So I understand the theory behind it. Just for people who are interested in deciding if they want to go further with the book, could you give us an idea on what you mean by the five steps? Just like a overview. Absolutely. Okay, so what we're doing essentially with the five steps is we're trying to find out why our patterns are there and what the root is. So it's like if you go into a garden of weeds, if you just chop the head off, the weeds will keep going back. So what you want to do is you want to dig the weed out. So the system of the neurocycle enables you through the five steps to gather awareness of your pattern. So that's the first part of it, is this gathering process. And notice that you use the word gather. Gather is a very in-control word. I'm not standing under an apple tree and having all the apples falling on my head. I'm actually standing back with a basket and I'm going into an orchard of apples and I'm picking that tree to work on and I'm picking the apples that I want. So the whole implication here is that you give yourself control. It's a very gentle permission that you're giving yourself. You've got to be kind to yourself. That changes the neurophysiology of your brain. When you have this gather attitude, you will shift 1,400 plus neurophysiological responses in your brain and your body to work for you, not against you. So the first element is, I'll give you the big picture, and then I'll tell you how it kind of works over time. Um, so the big picture is to gather. And what are you gathering? You're gathering awareness of the things that are literally breaking your life? What are the breaks in your life? What are the patterns in your life that are destructive, that are stopping you achieving what you want to achieve? And as soon as you start thinking like that, even, even achieve is the wrong word. That's one. Things that are blocking your day-to-day -day functioning. What's messing up your relationships? What's messing up your potential creativity? What in your day right at the moment is a block to your ability to feel a sense of peace? So, Let's move into that, closer into that, and then achieving dreams and all that stuff is that is a byproduct of once you understand basically how to manage your day-to-day -to -day moments. When you understand the day-to-day, -day, you can understand the bigger picture more effectively. So people often start, and that's just a side note, people often start gathering awareness of big dreams before they're actually aware of how do I manage my moment by moment, which builds to the big dream. So what is my thing today? And that's what everyone can be asking themselves right now. What is the thing at this moment, maybe it's more than one thing. Maybe it's two or four things. Put a priority list. Say, okay, well, there's maybe I feel completely burnt out and overwhelmed from, from the grief of losing loved ones over COVID or the financial loss, or there's a huge relationship issue or work is whatever. Grab those. If it's one, whatever, if it's three, four, five, prioritize them, gather awareness. Now, still in the gather, you now start going into the portion of, okay, what does this actually look like? And how do you know what it looks like? You look for red flags. Red flags are warning signals. A red flag is telling you, your mind, brain, and body are telling you that you are going from good stress, which works for you, into toxic stress, which works against you. So there's a, a transition period where we initially, as things happen, we go into positive stress that helps us wise and focus, etc. The neurocycle will help, will help keep you in that state. So first of all, you've got to find out if you if you are shifting into a toxic state. So what are the red flags? The red flags would be your emotions, depression, anxiety, frustration, irritation, anger. None of those are illnesses. We have to stop, as I already said, seeing emotions as illnesses. That's not a good narrative for mental health. Emotions are warning signals. You can't have depression. You experience uh -huh. depression. You can have cancer. You can have diabetes, but you can't have depression. depression what, so, 
So what you're saying is when we start feeling the onset of fear or depression, yeah. don't label it as a sickness, label it as a warning sign. Beautiful. You've got it. You've got it. There was recent research that came out of Tokyo and Texas, funnily enough, two universities that you wouldn't think would, Tokyo and Texas, that it was on the same concept, backed up, basically backed up my research, so I was thrilled about it, but basically said that when you embrace depression, anxiety, that kind of thing as messengers, immediately you are going to be in a healthier state. You'll be happier because you're not threatened because that's not who you are. You are right. always showing up like that in that messy so it's messy yes depression is messy depression also can be extreme you can have a depression at a, at a one which is manageable maybe depression from someone who is you know having a little argument with you to depression at a 10 which is from repeated abuse or something rape or something like that so there's extremes and they are vitally important because that depression is a warning signal that is part of your mind and your mind is up to 90 to 99 percent of who you are because when you're alive your mind is everything when you're dead your mind is gone so mind is is a driving force it's, it never stops even when you sleep at night so we need to always be gathering just let me put this in perspective you can go three weeks without food three days without water three minutes without oxygen you don't even go three seconds without your mind working so your mind works when you're conscious at your conscious mind your mind works when you're non-conscious which is when you're sleeping which is not non-conscious it's just basically when you're sleeping so your non-conscious mind drives both levels so we have a non-conscious mind that drives sleep states and wake states so at the moment your non-conscious and conscious are both working together and that's the driving force and what we're doing is in the non-conscious mind is where all the the experiences of your life are stored in these trees your non-conscious mind has access to these in your brain, the genetic change in your body, and the gravitational fields in your mind. So what you want to do is find, get access into the non-conscious mind. That's wisdom. That's getting access to the wisdom to find out what's going on. So the, when we talk about gathering, sorry, go ahead. So we were talking about these five steps. The first step is gathering. Yeah. We're, now I take it we're on the second step. No, we're still in gather, but I'm laying a foundation for each of the others quickness. So I want people to understand that you, when you're gathering, you are gathering. So I've painted a big picture of look at the pattern of your life. And from the pattern of your life, from, so whatever that pattern is, you then go to the signals. Now there's four signals. So you're gathering. So imagine these like four apples that you're picking off a tree. And the first one would be emotional signals. So put the emotional apples in a basket. And those would be things like depression, anxiety, frustration. And I diversified for a moment to just remind people that depression and anxiety are not things that are not illnesses in your body. They are warning signals. So that they be diversified there. So we're back now to the emotional apple. The second apple would be your behavioral, your, your behaviors. What are you doing? Maybe withdrawing from people, maybe more aggressive than normal, maybe losing creativity at work, or what are the things that are worrying you in your behaviors that have changed? Then and you're li linking it to this identified thing, this pattern that you've gathered. So you're getting more information. At first, it's kind of vague. Then you're going deeper with the emotions, the behaviors. Then you're going to go into what's going on in your body. What do you, you know, maybe you've got a gut reaction. Maybe you're having more GI symptoms than late, lately. Maybe you're having heart palpitations. And then the fourth red flag warning signal is your perspective. How has that shifted? Are you looking at life as this absolute life sucks? Or are you looking at life as I can't do this anymore? Or I'm giving up? So those are, and, and you're objectively looking at those. So it's literally you going up to the tree, not standing under and shaking it and letting all the apples fall on your head. You standing back and saying, that tree is the issue. I need to pick these apples. So you're looking at your emotions, your behavior, your perspectives. And what is the fourth one? The body reaction, physical. What's going on in your body? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that, 
gathering. That's the gathering phase. That's gathering. That's the okay. gathering. So now we've got our basket of apples and obviously I go into it in a lot more detail in the book and the app, the app I walk you through literally giving you therapy. And also what I explain in the book is as you're doing this, major stuff's happening in your brain. And if I may diversify for one second, when you gather, you are forcing a lot of oxygen and blood flow to the front of your brain. You want that. That's really good. That activates the structures over here to function at a higher level. More blood, more oxygen, more nutrients, great stuff. You also want balance between the two sides of the brain. So we want the different frequencies across the two sides of the brain to be flowing in the best way. So that's just, I mean, that's just a couple of different things that happen. You'll get an increase in, in coherence, an increase in what we call gamma wave, et cetera, et cetera. So there's beautiful things happening at every stage. So I've spent many years working out if what's the ideal state to get your brain in so that you can drive neuroplastic changes in the brain so what i'm trying to do in the system is help you get a body and brain that have, are in a state of chaos from the trauma or the experience or whatever you're going through and it's never one we've always got lots i'm, I'm helping you to literally stand back and get control of your brain and your body and control of your messy mind and then drive that in a direction that you can manage and it's very realistic. It's not going to happen overnight. And that we can talk about in a moment. So now, step so, two. So now, before you go to step two, I have to ask you this. Absolutely. Go Back ahead. To, so I want to ask you about Jordan Peterson's quote. Obviously, Jordan Peterson is, is a powerhouse in the personal growth yes. sector. But I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. The message you put up on Instagram is strive towards better. The modern idea is you're supposed to accept yourself. I think that's an insane idea. Really, I can't think of a more nihilistic idea than that. You're okay the way you are? No, you're not. And the reason you're not is that you could be way more than you are. What do you want to be? Do you want to be okay as you are? Or do you want to strive towards what's better? Let's talk about that. What are your views on this? Okay, so I think what's happening there is that it's just a kind of almost a confusion of words that people in society as well as at Jordan's honed in on this, this this thing that we, I know Jordan knows my work and, and I've actually, Michaela right. and I know, know each other and I've interviewed her, she's interviewed me. But essentially what I believe Jordan's trying to say is that don't accept the mental mess as who you are, as we know. There's such a lot of focus on being authentic on Instagram and social media. And that's a good move. There's, a, there's more talk about mental health. There's more people talking about who they are, that kind of stuff. But there's, something's got mixed up in this whole phrase. So let me unpack it. What we don't want to accept is this. And that's what I think Jordan's saying. I think Jordan is saying, and I can't speak for him. I can just go from what I know about him and what the conversations and so on. But what I believe Jordan is saying is don't accept the messiness that you see. Don't accept that. Rather go and find out what's really inside of you. And that's what I'm saying as well. Because he says it in a slightly different way. He's saying it in a, almost he's frustrated, I think, with the current move towards you've got to be perfect and get such an impossible goal. I say the same thing. This is not who you are. But I'm saying actually using different words, accept it by not to keep it, but to change it. So I rather use the words embrace. Because if you embrace something, you bring it in your fold. You embrace something that, doesn't have to be a threat this way i'm showing up i don't have to live with this i don't have to live with that depression that's incapacitating i can make that depression work for me i can make the anxiety work for me i can make the bad mood the anger the screaming or whatever it is that you're doing i can make it work for me and that's what i believe he's saying because this threatens survival this creates brain damage so going back to what you said just moments ago right you said depression anxiety fear they are not who you are they are messengers. 
You look at them as signals and yeah. look at them as a warning message. Yes. And what you seek to do is you use them to steer away from them, to move towards a better version of you. Or to change them and make them work for you. That's even better. Right. And you said, and the first step of your approach is when you're feeling anxiety, when you're feeling depression, do not accept them as who you are. See them as signals. They're not a sickness. They are a signal. And understanding that we are able to gather what's happening and then move away, move to the next level of who we could be. And you said the way to gather what's happening is to observe our behaviors, our beliefs, our perceptions, and our body. Yes, so behaviors, our emotions, or the behavior, the emotions. So emotions first, because those hit you first. Behavior hit you second. The physical, whatever's going on in your body, and then your perception of attitude, perspective. I I call it your perceptions of life. Just so so we have a, a neat cut, let me ask that question again, and you quickly summarize that for. And what you say is the way to embrace this signal, but change the signal is to embrace these four things. What were the four again? Your emotions, your behaviors, the physical reactions in your body, and your perspective of life, your mindset towards life. So we study these four things, and by understanding these four things, we are able to change the signal. You can change the signal. You're changing the signal. You see the signal as your mind, brain, and body telling you something so you embrace the signal to tune into the signal like we tune like you tune in a radio you know like it used to work tune into the signal and that signal then takes you to something it takes you to the thought because everything that you do is based on a thought that you have built into your brain so you have an experience your mind processes it into the brain and builds the thought the thought then produces the signals these signals are to warn you to fix this because these cause brain damage these work so your immune system or this is these are proteins and chemicals this is real this is not some fictitious or psychological or uh, philosophical concept this is as real as the covid virus covid made a so then you agree you agree that the modern idea that we are supposed to accept ourselves is bs you agree with jordan peterson I do. I agree with him because you need to you need to accept the mess to change it to find out what. It, so he's saying that, that don't just accept that and think that's all you are, and that you never have to improve. I, and I agree with him there because we are constantly organically changing and growing. The way I would just say it in a more gentle way, I would just say it's okay to make the mess, but it's not okay to stay there. Now you need to manage the mess because it's in the mess that you repair and you grow. So I would say it in that way. And that way you don't then have to force this bad, these signals that are impacting maybe your relationships and your work environment. You don't have to say to someone, oh, well, that's who I am. Just accept it. You know, that's, that's the limit. You can rather say, okay, that's actually damaging that relationship. That's not operating in love. You know, love is, is such a big word. And I don't use it in a philosophical sense. I use it in a scientific sense. It's a very scientific concept. We see from scientific studies that when people are operating in this accepting way of themselves and others and so on, that we see a different kind of frequency in the gravitational fields, the electromagnetic fields inside the person's body, the photons they emit. I mean, this is real stuff. This is not something. So if you accept who you're not, if you just accept the mess and think, okay, well, I've always been this in my family, or there's always been alcoholism, or I'm just an aggressive person, or I'm just very direct, and doesn't matter if I hurt people, that's actually damaging yourself. That's actually operating from a toxic pattern. That's a toxic protein thought structure made of memories, because thoughts are made of memories. And it's coming from somewhere. If you're constantly aggressive with someone, and you're saying to someone, well, that's who I am, just accept it. That's not who you are, because that's damaging to you and the person. You are aggressive because of something. So it's worth finding that out and 
the message, the worry, the fear, the depression, the anger, the anxiety, it is not a sickness. It's not like cancer. And when you learn to see them as signals, you can move beyond them. That's exactly. So what we see from the neuroscientific research is that we, the minute that you embrace something, you bring the hidden into the light. So in other words, that embracing changes how these protein branches are functioning. They actually become weakened. So the bonds between the protein branches that these are made of, and by the way, these proteins are distorted, these fold, misfolded, these are correctly folded. So these, your brain, your immune system loves these. These, the immune system will send out T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes and macrophages, and there'll be inflammatory factors are sent to the site of a toxic thought, which is a experience, which is amazing. You'll have a cytokine or the, the, you know, the cytokine storm, all that kind of thing. The same response as you have to COVID virus or bacteria or anything in your body, you have to a toxic thought. Why? Your immune system's protecting you. So your immune system then sends a message to your endocrine system, to your cardiovascular system. Everything works for you. I'm smiling so much because this brings so much clarity. It brings so much clarity so much clarity to this whole debate of do I accept my authentic self, even the darkness within me, or do I strive to be better? And I love the way you put it, right? It's about recognizing the difference between the signal and the sickness. Exactly. And the so that's, that's so true, the, the signal and the sickness. So when someone is when someone is operating in a way that they're losing peace and that that's interrupting a relationship that is disturbing a work environment, that's not authenticity. That is pain manifesting. And that is a trauma response. So that's not who they are. So it's very hard working with toxic people or being around toxic people. So you have to protect yourself from toxic people. But, and sometimes you're toxic, you know, that it works both ways most of the time. And so what we need to do is recognize, okay, I don't need to accept that, uh, that abuse from that person in the work environment or whatever. But at the same time, I also need to understand that's not who they are. Their authenticity does not lie in their toxicity. Their authenticity lies in the fact that they need to manage that mess. They're a mess because of, but I have to protect myself until they fix themselves. So there's, that's the level. So authenticity is finding that level of wisdom where when people are authentic, fashion, they can have discussions with other people that don't agree with them and not fight with them. You know, there's a, agreeing to disagree, agreeing to sit down with someone and saying, okay, we don't agree, but, you know, we don't have to fight about it. What are we seeing so much of in our country at the moment in the world? There's just so much toxicity amongst people because people are forcing, that in itself is very toxic. That's a lot of toxicity coming out in the conversations. It's not authentic at all. I love that. Thank you. Now I want to bring up a couple of people who have asked questions that got a number of votes. So Joshua, you are first. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, picking my question. Glad to hear there are a couple other people that were interested in it as well. Obviously, Dr. Caroline Leaf, you've been a huge impact in my life. I started listening to, I forget what CD it was, about rewiring your brain probably about five or six years ago, right when my life was really starting to shift. Vision, that's actually when I first heard your uh, six days meditation. Crazy stories there. But my question here was, I've experienced everything that you've discussed here. I understand the wisdom. I've seen it in my own life. And so everything you're, you know, you're preaching to the choir here. So I wanted to get a little bit more in modern usage. So how are we going to be seeing these real facts, like you're saying, these real studies showing, hey, these connections are there. They're in each of our brains and they're creating our realities today. And there are ways to improve upon this and do it in, in a larger scale. So my question here is, 
why, you know, I'm a 30 year old now starting to kind of get into this stuff over the last few years. I'm sure there's kids, other people out there who are in pretty rough situations that haven't heard these ideas or experienced them as truth. So what are we doing as leaders in our societies to get this information out there on a brighter or wider scale and even connecting with institutions such as prison systems, education systems, healthcare systems, et cetera. Thank you, Joshua. Okay. So big thing is that this is why I have that in mind. I mean, I work in, I've been working in education systems for years in this country, in South Africa, working in prison systems, working. So what I'm trying to do is create a community where people understand and look at mental health differently. Only one in four leaders are talking about, one in three leaders are talking about mental health, which is terrible, you know, in a way that we're actually giving ourselves permission. So as you were asking that question, you talked about the physical component as well of what can happen, that there's a real physical effect of when we have these adverse circumstances. And I happened to see one of the questions that popped up on the screen as well of that someone saying that this is a real physical illness when you talk about anxiety and these kind of things. Well, just very quickly, I've done a lot of research showing the psychoneurobiological impact. And when we have an adverse experience and it shows up in the brain, the brain does get affected right down to the level of, of every part of the body as well. I mean, I showed that the direct link, as soon as you are in an adverse circumstance, you're going to have increased inflammation. You're going to have raised homocysteine levels. You, your telomeres shorten. We had some subjects in our clinical trial whose telomeres, which are the ends of chromosomes, which are proxies for mental health and managing mental health in such a bad state that their bodies, their biological age was up to 35 years older than the actual chronological age. And within nine weeks of rewiring the brain, that had rematched and the inflammation had reduced, etc. So we had very, very sick people. And I work with very, very sick people who are sick as a result of the mental health issues. So the psychoneurobiological impact is absolutely valid. This is why we need to work with the medical community, with all of us together. Mental health is a community global wide effort where we need to come together and share and talk more we need platforms like this where we can bring in all ages it's not just up to the professional to help we need professionals we need the therapists for the extreme states but we are all living with our mind daily so it, it, i believe the best way to impact and make the changes starts from a grassroots level that's what i'm doing in my platform i'm working on both levels i work with government i work with organizations corporations education and i'm working on a ground level teaching people about their mind so that we can bring the two together and the different age groups together and have more community mental health forums. I, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, for me, that was beautiful. I really appreciate it. And I really know there's a lot being done. I see, especially over the last couple of years or so, there's a lot of people out there doing amazing things. I have a vision within the next two years, we're going to see even more beautiful things happening. So, but to, to end my time, I come from a drug addiction background, really rough background, but when I decided to change, when I started shifting because of God, my mantra was, I'm Joshua and I'm just a brother. I'm a son. I dropped the wording of, hi, I'm Joshua. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. Right. And so I just want to end with that. We are who we say we are and we are who we believe we are. And by changing those beliefs, you can really rewire your mind. So thank you so much. Yeah, the, just the going on that, the brain, why, they, when these neural networks wire into the brain, so do you have, and when, when addiction is, once again, it's a signal. It's a signal, it falls into that behavioral signal, and it's because there's a cause. So they wire in, and, and when something wires into the brain over cycles of 63 days, it becomes a pattern that becomes predictive. And so basically, as you would know, Joshua, who asked that question, and anyone who suffered with any form of addiction, it's basically, it's a way of trying to suppress this pain. And only when you face it, it's, it's really 
really hard. It's the treatment effect. When you see the pain, it's very difficult. It gets worse before it gets better. But until you find the cause, the addiction will stay. But there's this whole thing of I am an addict is terrible because then you take that label on. This is why diagnosis and, and being labeled with PTSD or clinical depression doesn't help people. We see from the research that you can't have that as a label, it's a tautology. Because if someone has clinical depression, if they get given that label, they get that label from a set of symptoms. Then you say, well, why do I have it? Then they give you the symptoms. So it goes in circles. And that creates a predictive pattern in the brain. And then your brain downscales and to that and you, you function around that toxic level. But if you say, no, I'm experiencing this, it's very severe. It's making my brain and mind and body sick, but it's a signal I need to find out why. And you do the work. And that work does take time, which I'm sure we'll get to chance to talk about that. Thank you so much, Joshua. That was a beautiful question. And I love what you shared. And uh, thank you so much, Dr. Caroline Leaf. So for those of you who want to go further following Caroline Leaf's ideas, you can follow her on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is Dr. That's D-R Caroline, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, Leaf, L-E-A-F. Her website is drleaf.com, D-R-L-E-A-F.com. Her app is the NeuroCycle app, NeuroCycle.app. And her book, which came out on March 2nd this year, is Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. And in this podcast, we discuss an overview of step one. That was just step one, guys. So if you found these ideas interesting, go get the book. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been a great interview. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I learned so much from this, and I'm so happy we got to address Jordan Peterson's post as well. Now, for those of you who are listening to this podcast and want to go deeper with transforming your life, check out Mindvalley Membership. If you're not a member yet, go to mindvalley.com forward slash membership. Mindvalley Membership just expanded globally with localized pricing. So if you're outside Western Europe or the USA, you will see that there are amazing uh, enrollment discounts available right now. And if you happen to be an American first responder, meaning a school teacher, a healthcare worker, fireman, military, veteran, reservist, or even a college student or any type of student, there is now a 40% discount this month on or everything Mind Valley. Simply go to mindvalley.com forward slash first, F-I-R-S-T. So I will see you guys as a new batch of members. And thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Caroline Lee. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.